0: Edwards Life Sciences would like to express our gratitude for all those on the front lines of responding to this fluid situation with COVID-19. We appreciate the strong leadership and dedication of healthcare providers to patients around the world, and we express our care and concern for you during this challenging time.
1: You're listening to Roxheart Radio. This month, Roxana Meiran explores COVID-19's impact on interventional cardiology journals with Davide Capadano, David Moliterno and Sunil Rao.: Hello everyone, and welcome to the Roxheart Radio Today. I have the incredible pleasure of three really, really close good friends. This is Roxana Moran from New York. Three amazing gentlemen, all editors-in-chief of our interventional journals. I have Davide Capodano from Catania, Italy, editor-in-chief of Eurointervention. I have Sunil Rao, Durham, North Carolina, editor-in-chief of CERC Interventions. And last but not least, Dr. David Moliterno from Kentucky, editor-in-chief of Jack Intervention. Welcome.
0: Thank you. Hello. Thanks so much.
1: Hey, guys. I thought we would have a nice little discussion now that we're back into this surge or um, second wave or a continuation of the first wave of COVID-19 infection and how you guys are all doing, um, especially given that I'm sure, much like all other journals, the numbers of papers that are coming to you all have really skyrocketed. I wondered if we can just kind of hear from each of you and we'll start with uh, Davide Capodano. How much increase in percentage-wise same time last year have you are you seeing as far as with COVID-19 now here?
2: Okay so thank you Roxana for the invitation. If I can share the experience with your intervention what I notice is that that the second wave is behaving very differently as compared with the first wave because uh, at the time of the first wave, uh, we simply doubled the, name of, uh, uh, the number of the uh, daily submissions, which is something we are not seeing in this uh, second wave. So it's uh, like that, uh, at that time, there was more time for uh, many people to send more manuscripts, as we received not only COVID-19 papers, but also non-COVID-19 papers. So what I'm noticing is uh, this difference in behavior between the two waves. Sunil?
0: Yeah, actually, it's remarkable how consistent that experience is with what we're seeing at CERC interventions. You know, during the first wave, we saw a a dramatic increase in the number of submissions, and those submissions were not just sort of the general interventional research that we would normally see, but also in uh, research related specifically to COVID-19. I think during this fall uh, second wave in the United States, or, uh, you know, however you want to phrase it we're not seeing that same level of increase in submissions. And the number of uh, submissions related directly to COVID-19 has gone down as well. Interesting.
1: And uh, Dr. David Moliterno, Jack so,
3: intervention? Yeah, so lo- love the question. And I was especially interest, interested to hear uh, David A. Cappadano's response because like like others, I've been turning to the Europeans or the Chinese who had the first wave to see how the second wave is is going I'm, I'm interested in David Day's comments. You know, you know, for Jack, I think it was Jack' interventions very much like the uh, the the other a uh, substantial increase with wave one. And you know what I found interesting, Roxana, is that it paralleled in inverse what we were seeing with acute myocardial infarctions. I was stunned how close it was, in fact, so that when people were publishing you know, a 30 to 40 percent uh, reduction in presentations for acute myocardial infarction. As that changed, that was the what was happening with the journals. They were going up in submissions same 30 to 40 percent. It paralleled it uh, almost directly. So very interesting.
1: So how do you guys get it all done? So you're sitting there and all of a sudden, as an editor-in-chief, you're getting a 50 percent or 200 percent increase in the number of submissions that are coming in. Um, Who does all of that screening and when do you send it out for review? How do you choose where you gotta go to publication now on this? Um, Why don't we start with you, Sunil? How do you do it?
0: Well, (laughs) you know, honestly, uh, Roxanne, I can ask you the same thing. I mean, um, you know, you're obviously incredibly busy. We're all very busy. I I think that um, for all of us, you know, um, we, we focus on things that we really enjoy doing and, and we find time to do it and it doesn't seem like extra work. I think all of us really enjoy, um, you know, the public scientific publication process and we enjoy being editors and we enjoy, uh, you know, interacting with our associate editors and our reviewers. So for me, certainly it just, you know, I, I integrate it as part of my job and I just really love doing it. So it doesn't seem like it's extra work. It just seems like part of the work that I'm, uh, that I'm doing on a, on a day-to-day basis.
1: So, David, what do you do? Do you have like a special COVID-19 group that you guys screen things through? or um, how do So, you another
3: do it? so another question that I love and to springboard, springboard off, what Sunil, just a continuous process, but, but what I found challenging is to know what was already out there in the COVID space. And so, once again, looking to what was coming out of, you know, France or Spain or Italy or Different parts of China early on because this was coming at us so fast, Roxana, and gosh, I didn't know uh, what had already been published or what the depth of knowledge in a particular area was. And so, whereas you might ask me what hot with FFR or in the mitral space or with, say, coronary dissections, which each of us knows reasonably well, gosh, early on in the COVID space, I just didn't know what was out there. So, it was challenging.
1: Yeah no and and you know I wondered like so you know for example um, getting for a subspecialty journal especially uh, with an infection that actually is very sort of kind of it, it basically it's it's attacking all of the uh, systems and of course the cardiovascular system as well but what an intervention is specifically interesting. With COVID, that has attracted you, or you're looking for in in journal um, for for the authors who are listening, that you guys might be looking for. Maybe I'll go right back uh, to you, uh, David Moliterno. What are you looking for?
3: Well, let, let me let me just continue with the last the last response. Um, it's obviously, something that's of interest to our readers. I mean, that's first and foremost. If the readers want to read about it and they find it engaging and interesting, and we think it's scientifically sound, right? That's what we're looking for. Now, having said that, Roxanne and the other editors will agree is, you know, this, this COVID infection, you, you know, is very widespread, maybe, you know, up to 10% of the population so far, and separately, the other disease states uh, in cardiology continue. So, I gave the example of um, spontaneous coronary artery dissection. And so, when we fr- saw the first few papers, spontaneous coronary artery dissection among people who are COVID positive, you know, we of course ask ourselves, is this true, true, unrelated or true, true, related? And, and so, the first paper or two or case report was certainly interesting, but now it begs the question of, of is it real and is it something the readers want to know about. And so that's what we, I think, each of the editors looks for is, is this something that our readership wants to particularly see in the print pages or online?
1: Is that similar for you in your intervention, Davide?
2: Well, let's say, Roxana, uh, when we realized that many COVID-19 papers were uh, going to to come to your intervention, we established the uh, upfront a strategy because we immediately noticed that the type of submission was uh, Well, there were three types of submissions. One were the papers that we can call tutorials. So how to scrub, how to organize the cattle, about to live uh, together with COVID-19 and continue to work. Uh, And for these papers, uh, actually, we uh, set the bar very high because uh, uh, we feel that this kind of practical and logistical paper have uh, a half-life, which is very short because, of course, the evolution of the pandemic is so rapid that uh, it's very likely that you will publish this when uh, the information is already obsolete. Then the second is the scientific documents from uh, organizations, societies uh, such as the IPCI. And of course, uh, we are a home for these documents that uh, help physicians. So of course, uh, fast track review was uh, indicated in this case. And the third type are the original articles. And I must say that, uh, here again, the bar is very high, especially because many other journals were publishing a large series on that. And what we received uh, and rejected in the vast majority of cases, unfortunately, due to priority, are those kind of epidemiological papers that tell you that, for example, primary PCI is going down because of the pandemic, etc. So this is a method that becomes rapidly not original anymore because uh, we have uh, uh, important publications also in New England on this topic uh, from uh, from New York, by the way. So uh, I must say that we are uh, publishing more scientific documents and very few original articles, while tutorials are more for websites like PCI Online.
1: Very, very interesting. Neil, so, anything else to add on that?
2: No,
0: I'll just echo I think what both uh, Davide and, and, and David both said. I think at the end of the day, what all of us are looking for is really good science that is of interest to our readership. And I don't think that um, any of our three journals have lowered our standards. I think we've seen some very prominent examples where many of us have looked at uh, publications in, in you know very high impact general medicine journals and sort of wondered, um, how those papers actually got published and it's pretty clear that it's more relevant to perhaps the buzz around the topic than the actual quality of the science and um you know i think that our three at least subspecialty journals uh, from my observation have not lowered our standards uh, in the kinds of papers that we're taking
1: so the last quick question before we we wrap this up is have you um kind of put together a fast track covid or original submission uh, to your journal so that um, the authors should know that this is a, a great way to get noticed right away and to get a response back if they need to go elsewhere. Uh, why don't we start with um, uh, Davide Capadano
2: Well, Roxana, the simple answer is no, and the reason is the backlog of papers already accepted and not published, because you know that uh, once uh, the paper is published, you go online, but then you have to put uh, the paper in print. So the problem with this, uh, at least with your intervention as a subspecialty journal, is that you would like to publish timely, but of course, you have a backlog of papers that have to be published first. So we prefer to avoid the fast track, uh, because of course, when you are entitled to publish a COVID-19 paper, can be next year. It can be uh, May next year. Sometimes, so of course, this information would not be useful anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tough balance, isn't it? Um, Dave Molaterno, anything to add to that? And Sunil?
3: Well, I suspect, like the other editors, you know, I personally look at every paper that comes through and, and, and have that in my mind, Roxana. So we we've, we've received, I think, thirty-two hundred papers so far this year, and last year in totality we were on twenty-eight hundred. So we're still well, last year's numbers. I, I, you know, what we try to do is, if, if it's something I think is super hot, we'll put it online, even if it's in what's called an S five format, which is the PDF of the final submission. Like we're currently printing about three months out, so if a paper is accepted today, it Jack Cardiovascular Interventions, it won't be in print until I think the third week in February. But we do have the luxury of, you know, putting things online immediately if we think they're uh, Super, which we
1: often are. So there is that ability to do that, and I think it is with your intervention as well. It's just the print piece that will lag behind based on all of the uh, exactly. all of the publications waiting. Sunil? So, yeah,
0: yeah we, we don't have a print journal. I mean, ours, ours is all entirely online, and and um, we can certainly uh, put up you know uncorrected proofs uh, in a PDF form, but. We, we do the expedited review process on a case-by-case basis, and we get a lot of requests for expedited review, but we generally tend to vet those with the editorial team to determine whether expedited review is, is necessary. I think one of the challenges with that, that all the journals face, is that there is a lot of reviewer fatigue. Um, and so we have to be careful to make sure that we balance that with uh, ensuring that the science gets out there in an expedited fashion.
1: Well, I just can't thank the three of you enough. Three amazing um, editors in chief of our subspecialty journals were most read, highly quoted, highly cited, and important in keeping the science first. What I learned today is that, of course, you have a huge, huge increase in submissions, but that you love what you do, that you continue to have and put science first, originality, and of course, Continuing your great work and contributing to the science in interventional cardiology. Thank you so much for making time for me today on Rox Heart Radio. Um, it's Roxana Moran signing off.
0: Thanks so much, Rox. Thank you.
2: Thank you.